Thank you so much for joining me for the podcast. I am Rick Thomas, and you are listening to Your Daily Drive. Recently, I was blasted for an article that I wrote. The title of the article was An Open Letter to Any Girl Who Wants to Get Married. And I'll be honest with you, I was surprised by the amount of hate mail that that article generated. I'll talk more about that in a moment. But the demographic that spoke out with the most anger was a group that identified themselves as Christian feminist. And so I want to talk about that in this podcast. I have been reflecting on the hate mail. I've been reflecting on the harshness, not just the harshness of what they said. I'm not particularly bothered by people who critique me that way, but I, when someone is that unkind and that harsh, I see what I see is a soul there who is hurting and they're struggling with something and they're struggling in such a a profound way that they are lashing out even to a stranger that they don't know, even taking an article out of context because they're hearing things, buzzwords, catchphrases that triggers something inside of them, and it causes them to react. Now, I am not going to address Christian feminism in this article, but what I want to address is something more universal to all of us, and that's how a person's experience can be so powerful and so painful that it discolors how they see life, even how they interpret God's Word Being blind to your blindness is the worst kind of blindness, which is where our feminist culture at large is today, but also this smaller group that they call themselves Christian feminist. And so I'm not going to address them so much as I want to take their vicious reaction to an article that I wrote, and I want to apply it to my own life. And I hope that you can apply it to yours to see if if your experience discolors how you interpret God's Word. And that is a temptation with all of us. If you want to read this article, you're welcome to do that. The title of the article is, I Am Woman, Hear Me Roar, Thoughts on Feminism. The first part of that title is from a 70s pop song by a lady named Helen Reddy. The title of the song is I Am Woman. The lyric went like this, I am woman, hear me roar. It was a super popular song, and in fact, it was so good, and it just, it sounded so well that I found myself walking around the house singing this song, I am woman, hear me roar. Now, what I didn't know, because I was detached from my political culture, I was also detached from these kinds of agendas that I did not realize that it was a declaration, that it was an anthem. It was really a call to war against men, against submission, against hierarchy, against structure. I didn't perceive any of those things back then, and I most definitely did not see the long-term repercussions of that kind of worldview, but we're all seeing it today as we are living in a civil, volatile culture where the two groups are, there's so much animosity on both sides, and it's really a complex problem. So I, I don't want to deal with that per se, because no, no podcast 
or article would be able to satisfy you on that. And there is so much noise already out there in cyberspace. If you want to delve into into those subjects of feminism and abuse and the issues that are in play here, you're welcome to do that. But what I want to do in this podcast is I would love for you and me to have a closer examination of how our experiences, especially the powerful and painful ones, how they can discolor how we see life to the point that it it affects how we interpret God's Word. And so my hope is that we can set aside whatever worldviews that we have and just say, Dear Lord, examine my heart. Help me to see what I can't see at this point of how the tragedies in my life, the horrific experiences in my life have affected me to the point to where It's really interfering with how I interpret God's Word and how I interact with my brothers and sisters in Christ and also how I interact with my culture. Now, if you want to talk about this, I would love to chat with you. I would encourage you to read the entire article. It's 2,300 words, and you're welcome to read it. It's there, available. I am woman, hear me roar. Thoughts on feminism. And it began with my surprise by the hate mail that generated from my article an open letter to any girl who wants to get married. Now, if you want to read the article, click on the link here. It's embedded here inside this one, and you can read that one too. But it struck a raw nerve with many readers who are outside our usual readership. This is how blog reading happens for every blogger. Blog readers tend to run in ever-increasing circles. The most inner core, the smaller, smallest circle, are those who love you and generally agree with your writings. And then there is a larger ring outside of that that represents their friends, like people they share your resources with on Facebook, people who may not know you, But they typically agree with your content as well. And so you have the inner core, and then you have this outer ring. But then you have a ring that's larger than that. Now, depending on how popular your resources go, then they begin to move out into mainstream evangelicalism, which is where our resources tend to go. Now, this can be a mixed bag of readers. They don't know you. They don't know anything about you. Most of them don't. Part of this group may not agree with you, but they can move on without causing a ruckus. But there are others inside this group who not only disagree with what you write, but they attack you and your ideas, and they do so with viciousness. Now, it's this outer circle, which is where our article made its way. Now, I praise God for this, because not with the things that they said. I I don't praise God in in sin, but I praise God that he is choosing to advance our resources and send them beyond my four and no more, meaning my few friends and no one else. But he's taking our resources globally. And of course, with that, there's this built-in liability that there will be repercussions. And and that's what happened with this article. In fact, it, it stayed at the top of our most popular post for seven days in a row. Day three was the biggest day. as It, it kind of climaxed at that point, and that was the day where it hit the outer limits of our potential blog readers. 
Now, though Christians and non-Christians represent this farthest outer circle, the particular people group that this article affected the most were those who said they were Christians. And so now what we have are a group of people who strongly, viscerally disagree with what I wrote, and they also named themselves as followers of Christ. But there was another common denominator is that they identified themselves not just as Christians, but Christian feminist. So they needed a modifier to describe themselves. They're just not Christians, they're Christian feminists. And some of them noted this in their comments, while others pushed forth the Christian feminist message on their blog where they, where they castigated me. Now, there were some common themes that ran through their comments, and I've read many of them. I'm not sure if this is how all so-called Christian feminists think. In fact, I doubt it. But there were some common themes, and it was how these femi feminists expressed their perspectives to me. I want to share with you some of the common themes. In fact, I want to share with you six of them. And as you hear about these common themes, you'll begin to understand why they can respond with just such a visceral response. First of all, the common theme is that all of them were women. Though there were some men who read the article, most of the harsh comments were from women. And what I found odd is that the article that they were critiquing was really me being critical of men and their lack of leadership in relationships. It wasn't about women at all, honestly. It was about me. In fact, I, were, I was warning women about how men can be and to be on the lookout. It was an open letter to women to be careful because some men can be cruel, unkind, harsh, and just your regular jerks. And I thought if anyone were to be mad with me, it would be the men that I targeted in the article. But one of the common themes is that virtually every one of them were women who were angry with me. Number two, they were angry, without question. Now, these women were sinfully angry, not righteously angry. And I, I have a link here if you want to read about what righteous anger is. But I'll just say for this podcast, it was not righteous anger, to put it mildly. They were so mad that it proved futile to reason with them. No matter how I responded, which I attempted initially, and then I, I realized it was not going to work because they just came back with more hate speech. Bullying is what they were attempting to do. Proverbs 26.4 says, Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. And so I took that avenue and realized the futility in responding to them because they were so full of hatred for what I was writing. And so the common themes, virtually all of them were women, and they were sinfully angry. Number two, they were justified. Some of them justified their sinful anger. And I do say sinful because of the tone, the cruel comments, the unwillingness to reason, unceasing attacks on the person as much as the perspectives. Their angry critiques blinded them from a mature, back-and-forth conversation. They felt entirely justified, in not, not just in their position, but also in their anger. 
Number four, all of them have been hurt by a man. Possibly their dads or their church culture or both. It was clear. Several of them called me a fundamentalist, which I found ironic and somewhat humorous since a fundamentalist doesn't hold to many of my views or practices. I am very familiar with the fundamentalist culture because I was a part of that culture many decades ago, and I'm not any longer, and I promise you they don't hold to a lot of my beliefs. And so being hurt can blind the mind, like a fire fills a hayloft with smoke, and they were so hurt that they were blinded to reaching for this inaccurate name-calling. I don't know what else to say it. Number five, experiential. Their horrific life experiences overpowered the possibility of civil engagement. Their hurt has been so profound that talking to them was not an option. I have no doubt that many of them have experienced abuse from someone. And so some of the common themes, women, anger, justifying what they were doing. They all been hurt. They all have an experience. And then number six, presuppositional. They have a filter through which they interpret certain words and sentences. And when they hear these buzzwords or catchphrases, each one who responded angrily toward me pulled out one of those phrases or a sentence or a word that had little to do with the context of the article. They reacted to the statement or the word that they read not to the point of the context. Those were six of the common themes. And when I mixed these common elements together, my heart broke for these women. I'm not mad at them, but my soul is heavy and sad for my sisters in Christ and the church at large also disheartens me because it is guilty to a degree in creating this mess. While these women are responsible for how they responded to God and how they respond to God and others, you and I cannot stand aloof while waving our fingers at them as though we're innocent. They have experienced hurt. The last time that I received so much hate mail was because of an article that I wrote on being gay. And ironically, these folks who wrote me called themselves gay Christians. We have to modify our Christianity because it's no longer about being a Christian. It's, it's about this modifier that we attach to our Christianity. And when we do that, we are communicating our worldview. It's no longer Christian, but it's Christian plus or primarily this other thing that filters my or interprets or gives you an interpretation of my Christianity. Gay Christians and Christian feminists did not get to their hermeneutic and their worldview, and by the way, I disagree with both their hermeneutic and their worldview, but they didn't get there by themselves. They had help, and the Christian community, along with the gay and feminist cultures, the non-Christian cultures of gay and feminist, have aided and abetted them in their journey. We have, in part, created these outcomes by how we practice and export our religion to others. It is possible that I see more of this than you do because I spend most of my week engaging Christian families who have shipwrecked their lives. I see this virtually every day. And the casualties 
are always the children. There's more casualties than the children, but if children are involved, the casualties are the children. These kids are turned off by what they see in traditional religious circles and traditional religious families. Disgruntled, they seek a better way to practice their religion, and that's why they modify it. I don't like Christianity as is, and if they attempt to practice it at all, they do it from this skewed worldview and hermeneutic that they have. Now, I do, I don't not, I do not have a quick solution to the Christian gay or the Christian feminist problem. Obviously, it is a problem. If I spend too much time thinking about how they arrived at where they are, I will become discouraged. It's like standing at the foot of the world's most massive mountain and I'm barefoot and empty-handed while being asked to scale what is before me. Sometimes it feels almost overwhelming and personally disheartening. I have to be careful. I have to guard my heart when I see the magnitude of the problems within Christianity. Now, I'm not frustrated with these angry women, though I don't see any way of dissuading them from their views. It appears to be an impossible puzzle. They would read one of my articles and say, I'm off my rocker. And there's no question in their minds that I am the one who needs to change because they are absolutely right and I am absolutely wrong. And ironically, I, I'm in the same dilemma that they are. We both believe that we're right, and neither one of us are going to change our minds. I believe that being gay is a sin, and there's no such thing as a Christian gay. It's an oxymoron, and it's oxymoronic to be a Christian feminist in the literal interpretation of what being a feminist is. That's why we don't need that modifier. Now, I'm open to change, but I do not see their positions as I said, being gay or their version of feminism in the Bible. And this is why they rage at me. It's an impasse. But where they are is not where I start. The first place for me to begin thinking about problems between competing factions is always with myself. If I tend to judge another person or another group before I judge myself— The process has no hope of progressing. And yes, the Bible calls us to judge each other, meaning to bring charitable judgments, to bring assessments, to bring critique, to bring honest evaluation to other people. Whatever word you want to use, judge is a perfectly good word when interpreted properly. And so the Bible calls us to judge each other, and it's okay to bring your perspective and assessment to other people But this should never happen until you have gone through personal self-assessment. The first person for me to judge is myself, which is what Jesus was teaching in the log and spec passage in Matthew 7. It is not possible to help every person change, but you can at least improve yourself And as I'm assessing myself, I hope to have enough humility to hold my opinions loosely while being willing to change. I want to change. I want to grow in my understanding. I want to have a healthy self-suspicion because it's, well, it's healthy. 
And so a few questions that I began to ask myself as I was reading their hate mail, to me, one question, am I open to critique? Another, am I open to change? Number three, will I hold my views loosely? Number four, what areas in my life need to change to have a more effective impact on my sphere of influence? Number five, how could I influence our current church culture to pursue a more authentic representation of Jesus Christ in our practical lives? Because that is an issue, and it's part of the problem that these women were expressing that we're hypocrites, and I can't argue the point. And so as I began to judge myself first and address the log in my eye and ask some of these questions that I just asked, whatever issues that, may, that I may have, and as I do that over a period of time within community, I want to bring other people into this. They help me to see what I'm not seeing. But after you do that, you just can't stop there and lack courage I do want to discern whatever specks that may be in my combatants' eyes. And two common themes ran through the comments of the women who responded to my article. Here are the two common themes. Both of them had much to do with shaping their current belief system. One common theme was oppressive church cultures. Another common theme was poor modeling of Christianity. It bled through their comments everywhere. These two themes had affected them. As I'm looking at their specs, oppressive church cultures, poor modeling of Christianity. Rather than disagreeing or arguing with them, I wanted to look inside their anger to see the causes, which is what James says in James 4. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you. And so I wanted to see what was inside of them that was pushing them to respond so angrily toward me. All of them were in oppressive church cultures, and specific individuals abused some of them within these church cultures. And so when you begin to first address your own heart about what's going on, and then you begin to look inside as to why they're responding with such veracity and, and anger. Then you begin to see that these people are really struggling and they're really hurting. I could not dismiss their critique out of hand and just say, you're wrong and, and go on in my rightness, but there's a reason they have these worldviews and perspectives. And so my point is that they had legitimate complaints which behooves every Christian to think about how to bring change to their church culture. Rather than lashing back out at these Christian feminists, I want to say, hey, there's some truth in what they are saying. In my view, the most effective way you can change any church culture regarding the treatment of women is in my home, in your home. And there are two specific areas within my family or your family to where you can affect church culture. That's where I don't want you to think on the macro about the large church culture, but think on the micro about your family that makes up part of the church culture. And the two specific, specific areas that I'm thinking about here are marriage, how a husband treats his wife, 
and siblings, how boys treat girls. If these feminist women had done due diligence by reading my articles on our website on marriage, parenting, children, they would have a better perspective on how I address these significant concerns regarding a husband and wife and boy and girl relationships within the home. Our resources do not lack directness and they do not lack courage in dealing with these issues. Now, if they had done due diligence rather than being fly-by shooters, they would have realized, oh, wow, there's a greater body of work here. And Rick is pretty hard on these issues because there are problems in how husbands treat wives and how boys treat girls. And they would have seen what I believe to be a better view than what they have experienced in their own lives. Their problems do not take a rocket scientist to discern. There is a way to treat a woman, and it's not how folks have treated some of these victims. This crisis in the home is why it's imperative for boys to learn how to respect, honor, care for, serve, love, and encourage their sisters. Boys will not automatically be nice to girls when they are married if no one has taught them how to treat their girl siblings in the home. Now, they may not have a sister to hone the skill of respecting, honoring, caring, serving, loving, encouraging, but they do have a mother. They do have a teacher somewhere, a female teacher. They have a female neighbor. There is no shortage of women to mature in the heart in the art of biblical manhood. And the boy also has a father, as well as men in his church from whom he can learn what it means to be Jesus to women. Nothing is more powerful than an authentic representation of Jesus Christ in the home as the father models Christ to his children by how he relates to his wife. Now, there was another aspect of the feministic anger, which is about this idea of submission. The ones who wrote me had this who-needs-men attitude. This problem is where their horrible experiences created a presuppositional filter that gave them a faulty interpretation of men-women relationships. It went something like this. I was treated poorly by a man. Therefore, all men are evil. They built their logic on a house of cards. I, Rick, have been treated poorly by a lot of people in my life. But it would be wrong to place all people in a category of a demographic that I must hate. In some ways, I suspect I've been treated similarly to what many of these Christian feminists have experienced. My dad was physically and verbally abusive as one example. The church ostracized me after my first wife left for another man. Two different individuals murdered my oldest and next oldest brothers, and the murderers went virtually unpunished. These tragic life events hurt. That's an understatement. And I'm sure they shape who I am today. Minimally, they motivate me to reach out to care for those who have been mistreated by others, particularly those who abuse their positions of authority. And though the abuse is real, being subject to another person or entity is not a bad thing. In fact, it's a biblical thing. We all are subject to someone or something, governments, employers, civil authorities, parents, husbands, teachers, pastors, friends. 
I'm subject to my wife in practical ways. Besides the call to serve and love and lead her, I, I defer to her in some things because, quite frankly, she is better at some things than I am. My prayer in this article is that the Spirit of God will continue to work in my heart to show me where I need to change. I also pray he would take our resources and use them to serve the church because these so-called Christian feminists, they do have an argument. But we tend to work in extremes. It's either this or that, but never both. But it's almost always both. A woman can be a great leader and a follower at the same time. And so should a man. But if your experience was so awful, you could yield to the temptation of rejecting one for the other, which is at the heart of Christian feminism. The title of the article is, I am woman, hear me roar. Thoughts on feminism. Here are a few questions for you to think about. Number one, what have been the primary shaping influences in your life? Number two, how has your experience hampered you from learning and applying biblical truth? And number three, in what ways does your experience give interpretation to the current events in your life? I would love to chat with you about this article. You can do that. Go to our website, rickthomas.net. Get your username, password, log yourself in, ask your question. Your Daily Drive is a production of rickthomas.net, a global community that is seeking to live more productive and inspiring lives. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please go to rickthomas.net, rickthomas.net.